And welcome to Shift of One, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Australian slang. Doing the Harry Holt means to bolt, to skedaddle. Oh, wow. A bit of Aussie rhyming slang. That's right. Uh, and not only were drivers bolting off the line, I'm sure many of them would like to put Albert, Park, and Oz behind them. Interestingly, Harry Holt, I've found, was an Australian prime minister who disappeared while swimming off the coast of Victoria in 1967. Some say because he was abducted by either a UFO or a Chinese submarine. Wow, I love how, like, in the lore of Australia, it can't just be sharks. Like, sharks, any, like, non-Australian would be like, oh, it was sharks, that's kind of cool. That's a cool story. But they're like, nah, sharks are too blasé. It has to be, what what was it? Aliens or... Or or a Chinese. Chinese submarine? Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, it's funny you mentioned lore because uh, I found an extremely Australian quote in uh, the article on Wikipedia of Mr. Holt's disappearance. Quote, okay. Holt's death was entered, uh, Holt's death has entered Australian folklore and was commemorated by, among other things, the Harold Holt Memorial Swimming Center. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm Drew you... yeah. Joining me, Danny <laughs> Dwyer. Oh. How are oh you, Danny? Oh, my God. I'm good. Am I? Australia freaks me out. I think people there are just like, they're like cut from a different, like they're just harder there. You know what I mean? Maybe it's just because like the fir- my first engagement with Australian culture was Mad Max, but I feel like I'm just, I'm too soft. I don't think I would survive there. I think I would shrivel and die. And um, the, the Harry Holt Memorial swimming pool has only confirmed my deepest fears. Uh, also joining us, Rob Zagney. How are you, Rob? I'm good. Yeah, the minute I heard about like the spiders that just live in people's shoes in Australia, I was like, nah. They live in your well, shoes. Like, I don't care how you tell me. Like, oh, I think there might be like funnel web. Uh, that might be it. Or, but like, they're they're like poisonous, but they're also like you know. I was reassured by multiple Australians. Oh, they're very shy. You just have to make sure you don't disturb them as you're like putting on your shoes. And I was like, just the fact there's a possibility. And I'm just like throwing on a pair of sandals, and it's like whoop. Uh, poison yeah. spider. I'm just. I'm done. Rob, how many times do have you like? Do you put a shoe on in your like every day? At least once a day, you put a shoe on. So over yeah, the course I can't of your life, poison spider check. Yeah, right. I, exactly. I can't be. I can't be. I can't be out there de- dealing with that. I also can't deal with like a time of year where you got to wear a goofy little helmet because a bird might like uh, swoop at you. What? I don't know that one. I don't know that one either. See, is every, like a this is helmet? the problem. They're like layers to this fear. It's like a bike helmet with little spikes on it. I don't. I forget what the bird is, but it's like a hyper aggressive, like, uh, just tries to mess with people. It's hyper territorial, <laughs> hyper aggressive, and it's like grabs your head. Uh, yeah, they they sort of they sort of dive bomb your head, uh, and so people <laughs> there's like an entire cottage industry of like little homegrown try to make these birds leave you away uh, helmets that I'm, I'm pretty sure this is Australia where they where they do this so you have to wear like like Russian World War one helmets to, to, to no it is like bike a, on bi- it is like a bike helmet with pipe cleaners uh, <laughs> is the way I would describe it uh, if you oh, you're shit. new to this podcast a very warm welcome to you uh, if you're new to Formula One itself or Australia 
Uh, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode. We don't talk a lot about Australia, but we do talk a lot about Formula One. It assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 216. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shiftf1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. So what do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, our review of Drive to Survive Season 5 uh, went up for patrons, for Media Pass patrons. They got the video version as well. Uh, myself and Rob on that one chatting a lot about uh, not just Season 5 and how it's sort of played out, but also kind of where uh, Drive to Survive exists now within the F1 cultural lore and kind of what what its future might be. And also we sort of did a lot of chatting about like, what if, the, like, what ifs of, like, if they had approached it this way after five years, maybe we would have had this different type of season. So I, I thought it was a lot of fun to, to do it. And also we did it in one episode instead of, like, three or two, which is we've done in previous years. Um, this month we're going back to the primers. We haven't done a primer on a different racing series in quite a while. We did since, a lot back in the early days. W series, I think. Okay, and that was... Was that two was seasons year? ago? Two years was ago? Was it last year? I can't remember. Two years ago. Um, so we're doing one on IndyCar, which has been, I think, maybe our most requested one yes. uh, of recent memory. Uh, the season has just started. There is one race in, so uh, two, you can also... Oh, has there been two? Okay. Mm. They um, just ran at Texas this weekend. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's sort of in full effect, which will be nice. But yes, if you're uh, a, a patron, you'll be getting that. There is a weirdness in the schedule at the moment because China got cancelled, so we don't actually have a race for three weeks. And we are a podcast that runs every time there is a race or a race has been run. But if there's ones and if there's gaps, we usually just leave it off. So what we're going to do this time is uh, next week, there will be the IndyCar Primer for patrons. So if you're not a patron, there won't be a podcast next week. The week after that, we're going to do a sort of an email roundup special show to, uh, to answer people's uh, questions. So please send in your emails. Use the form on f1.cool or uh, hit up shiftf1podcast at gmail.com. If you have big ideas or little questions or whatever it is, uh, please shoot them in. We'll have a whole episode in two weeks' time dedicated uh, to that. Uh, and if you are a patron, we'll see you next week for the IndyCar Primer, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, and a massive thanks to all of our incredible title sponsors, my wife Sharon, Alex Medina, Kikaga... <coughs> kick a hat of the multiple time penalties Ash Team Blackjack Michael Maves Gordy's Army at Talking Autos Olivia Evans IronStation.dev TelemetryDeck.com Drew Stewart Bailey Foote Abdullah Althani Jason Chadwick Abraham Getchell Enzo and Ayrton Octothorpe is still betwixt job crimes Sniggs Alex Goucher Max Faltar Circuit Demon Troy Stammer Umberto Rocco William Romph Sorry, Umberto Roca. I went way too fast past you there. William Rumpf, Irvine Clinical Research, Lachlan the Madden Man, and of course, Jason Kelly. Thank you all. Fantastic. I like that people are... There, there are voices that are emerging for each for each person, Danny. I in, have... In your delivery. I, sometimes, exactly. And sometimes, I, you know, at nighttime, when I'm sort of sitting in my bed and daydreaming, I just imagine being at like a sort of a medieval fete with these people and meeting them and talking to them. And I've, I've created entire caricatures of them in my head based off of their tiny picture avatars on Patreon, some of which are actually their faces. So. You walk into Good. the banquet hall and the servant there announces, Umberto Roca. 
exactly. It's kind of like the uh, the sort of, in my head. It's like some sort of Viking, you know, uh, afterlife scenario where I am mm. I am surrounded by the people at the Mead Hall, and they are they are they are we are celebrating not just my life but also their lives. So I don't know. Yeah, that's 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 where I'm at with, wow. with Patreon. That's how I deal with, with the guilt of running. I'm just a imagining like. Wow. Michael Mann making a movie about podcasters, like like guys sitting down to coffee. It's like keep having this like recurring dream. I'm sitting at a big banquet table, yeah, followed right. by Patreon backers. Yeah. And there's Octothorpe just... Bunny Crimes between jobs. <laughs> there's Telemetry Duck. He's a duck because I thought he was a Telemetry Duck for like two years. And they're all gathered around waiting for me to podcast. You know what that dream's about, right? Exactly. Patreon I've... anxiety. Yeah, there's only one or two of them I've actually met. Circuit Demon's a nice guy. He's not a demon at hmm. all. Just as far as you cool know. Lights. This would be cool as hell if we were sponsored by like a Ghost Rider type figure, though. That would be yeah, like some cool. sort of weird ethereal beast. Yeah. That'd be kind of terrifying as well, because like, you know, I don't need to. I don't need to be. That's part of that that's world. Jason Kelly. Oh really? Yes. Shit. What? Not Lackland, the maddened man. It's J. Okay, sure. Jason Kelly, if you'd like to be nice. part of our weird internal Viking lore of Shift F1, patreon.com slash Shift F1. Uh, let's get to uh, the, let's let's expand on the Australian lore, specifically yes. uh, that of the Grand Prix, by running down the starting grid. Boy, we have a lot to get to, so let's just dive right in. It kind of an yeah. interesting qualifying session, because the track is apparently very nice on tires, or at least it was this weekend, so we got to see cars stay out and do successive fast laps uh good track evolution too so it really it kept you guessing <laughs> right to the yes. end as much as you know i guess the season could although you know not a big surprise who's on pole well, it's max Verstappen. well then yeah well they needed to just to point on the practice stuff they needed to kind of get the tires up to temp was one thing but then another thing that kept happening was practice kept raining so there kept mm. being rain which then was washing a lot of the rubber off the track so that was actually not helping them at all i think it was i think it was p2 where there was like a fairly decent rain delay or they all came they all went out early but it was definitely rain was a big part of the weekend oddly enough well, and there'd been the odd thing where they lost some practice time to, well, maybe they got it back, but they had to suspend practice like right out of the gate because their GPS system crashed. Yes. Uh, and it really revealed the degree to which F1 is dependent on GPS working because, remember, this is a sport without spotters. Uh, effectively, mm. your spotter is somebody with access to live telemetry, be able to warn you of like where you are in, in terms of like the state of play, who's coming up behind. And the minute GPS cut out, uh, you can imagine in, in practice, some people are on outlaps, some people are trying yeah. to fast laps. Safety issue. Uh, it got dangerously chaotic yeah. uh, the minute they lost GPS, which I, I had never thought like the degree to which now just operating the cars uh, out there on the track requires yeah, GPS and, to be working. And it, and it was a very busy weekend because you had F1, F2, F3, and also supercars. Uh, did you see the crazy fire that was in the pits? That no. Was yeah, one of the cars burst into flames on the drive-in. Uh, just They had an incident on the th that final little chicane area or whatever where the car basically burst into flames and they drove it into the pit. But he drove it into, by the time he was in the pit lane, it was in flames yeah, yeah, yeah. so they stopped at his pit box and they put it out and he, he was okay I think it might have happened to two people I forget but I I didn't see all the highlights but yeah there was a, there was a, so I had a friend who was a marshal that weekend uh, on oh, every cool. year he posts pictures yeah every year he posts pictures on Facebook and I forget and I'm, he's like yeah it was great this time it was crazy it was a car on fire in the pits as well so apparently Taking they were a selfie super with a burning car gotta get this guy out of this thing in a second <laughs> exactly yeah do it for the gram 
so I think the other thing, though, is it's not just that the tires, like the track was easy on the tires, though. It was bitterly cold on yeah. qualifying day. They couldn't, they could not get the tires up to temperature yeah. without doing a bunch of runs. So it was a really strange qualifying in a way I kind of liked. Yeah. Where it was just like guys doing long endurance stints out there trying to find the best time. <laughs> Go again. Uh, rather than doing the sort of, let's face it, like kind of boring cycle of go in, pit, try to time your next outing. There's the whole traffic anxiety. Great for uh, the it, fans. It's kind of cool just to well. see him try it again. Yeah. yeah, the fans got to see so many cars out all the time instead of these big gaps of no one's out for five minutes while they're waiting to to, to get up to temperature again. Yeah. Well, you know who only got five minutes? Who? Sergio Perez. Oh, yeah. If the, even that, yes. Yeah, it was. So if you're talking, if you're trying to make a case for, you know, I demand to be taken seriously. Like we're, you gotta give me, you gotta <laughs> give me my shot. Uh, going off in turn three and start Q one and just like beaching at the gravel, not your, not your strongest opening. Now Perez has said like this was not his fault that they were uh, sh- like trying to deal with issues that were cropping up in practice. Yes, and P2 what was, he described was wrong for him. Bad. He went off a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and what he described it sounds pretty bad, which is that like when he got on the brakes, it was as if the entire brake balance went all the way forward every time he turned the brakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and it's, it, that's literal. That almost sounds like there's an electronic issue where like it is just glitching because that can be adjusted at any time. Uh, what is the, the 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 bias in the in the brakes and? Yeah, if every time you because turn three is kind of like your first really serious brake test yeah. on on the lap. Yeah. Uh, turn one and two is kind of a, a quick chicane. You can take that pretty swiftly uh, if you you know if you get your entry and exit right. But turn three is the first like you really got to stand on the brakes to to get it. And you can imagine like if the if the balance just swings uh, that you completely lose the car and you can't. You know, both brake systems need to engage. You can't really be 100% forward. But still, uh, it it, lo- it was a bad look uh, for Sergio, but mm. also mostly it just meant that his race was going to be a recovery drive uh, and, no matter what. And brake balance, quickly, for people who don't know, is the degree to which the uh, either rear or forward tires are braking, taking more of the brake than uh, than the other. So all of the there are brakes on all four wheels on an F1 car. Uh, brake balance is basically deciding if the front of the if the front wheels are braking more than the rear wheels, and there's lots of like reasons you would do that that are more complicated. All right. Well, uh, let's run down how the order shook out here. Master Snappen, as I mentioned, is on pole for Australia. Uh, behind him, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton ahead of Fernando Alonso. Uh, those are your first two rows. The Mercedes is looking like they have a little more fire in them uh, than we previously thought, and maybe a lot more in George Russell's case, but we'll get to that. Uh, Carlos Sainz lines up in fifth alongside Lance Stroll, then Charles Leclerc in seventh. Alex Albon in his Williams, Hell yeah. starting eighth. Uh, then Pierre Gasly in ninth, and Nico Hulkenberg in the Haas, looking also very strong. In qualifying, uh, he lines up 10th. Behind them, we've got Esteban Ocon, Yuki Tsunoda, Lando Norris, Kevin Magnussen, Nick DeVries in 15th, then Oscar Piastri, Joe Guan Yu, Logan Sargent, and Valtteri Botas had a terrible qualifying. He, along with Sergio Perez, will start from the pit lane uh, because they both made modifications to their car uh, while yes. under Park Ferme. Which is like you know, if you qualify in the back, then there's there's no real. Yeah, might as who well. Who cares? Might as might as well 
make some modifications to your car. Uh, all right. Well, that's how the grid looks. Danny, do you want to take us through start number one? Sure. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. We'll, we'll roll this one back a few times. And uh, Max Verstappen's performance is perhaps uh, on these starts is perhaps um, the thing that is uh, that is most consistent. Perhaps uh, consistently. Uh, poor i don't know maybe that's that's too strong a thing but definitely people had to jump on him quite often it's always tricky when you're uh, in the front and the second and third cars are from a team that is not yours and the same team because it means that they're sort of more than happy for one of them to get ahead because that can often allow the car that's in third especially before drs kicks in to maybe also get the jump on you so uh, as it happened russell had a great start um Verstappen perhaps maybe overly aggressive in his defending of that position. Um, by the time they get past turn one, uh, Russell is ahead. By the time they get down to turn three, which is the one Rob was talking about, that the first sort of big breaking zone, um, he is already fighting alongside Hamilton, who has uh, adopted a position, an advantageous position around the outside. Uh, Hamilton gets around him there. I think in previous years, you, we might have seen it coming together, but obviously Verstappen understands that he's got a better car at this stage and maybe doesn't need to necessarily overly fight that situation. I think he even said him, after the race, like, I, you know, I was, I was, I've got a championship to consider here. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think it was, Hamilton's on the inside, but you're right, yeah. Verstappen was defending Sorry. from uh, signs who's threatening to go around the outside too. Yeah. Uh, and all of this ends up being um, sort of nullified, or at least the, the the fun of the action is, because Charles Leclerc runs off uh, into the gravel on turn three, beaches it. It's not a spot you can easily uh, get the car out of. Figured there's probably uh, a safety car coming in, and right away there was. And then a lot of people, bizarrely, came in to change their tires. <laughs> well, I mean, so there's, like... I think the the start was interesting because you have, uh, you know, Verstappen was clearly struggling. I think with a bit bit of grip, he like did I, he wasn't brake testing Hamilton, but he got like really early on the brakes heading down into three as well, where there's almost like a rear rear end collision with Hamilton, uh, and Hamilton sort of ducked on the inside and like like Verstappen did say afterwards he felt that Hamilton pushed him wide and it was sort mm. of in contravention of racing form. I don't really see it. Uh, it was like Hamilton was as squeezed into that apex as he could be. And in normal circumstances, like, yes, you shouldn't have a car there. But Alonso was so close by. And because Verstappen had, like, forced him to evade a collision uh, earlier, like, positioning was all screwed up. Uh, you know, I was watching Julian Palmer's analysis of it. He also noted that Hamilton was squeezed so tight that he went over the... There's the stripy bit of the curb, and then there's the raised uh, solid red bit of the curb. Yeah. And he went over the solid red bit, and that unsettled the car so much that, like, the car's not going to turn uh, really after that. So, of course, he was going to end up going wide, and that was just how it shook out for Max. But, yeah, the, the real mistake here is leclerc trying to hang it all the way around the outside to get past uh stroll and you know i mean it's not entirely his fault he doesn't know that stroll is going to be uh pinched by i think alonzo was mm. the guy to stroll's inside who was caught up in the train with hamilton and verstappen but like stroll had nowhere to go and leclerc turns in because it's a pretty sharp turn and just kind of got himself 
uh, dumped out into the gravel. You know, not they yeah. maybe a move worth trying, but also not you know. It, Not it re- something he had to force at that point. It, re- it reminds me of the things that sometimes creeps up where you've got a driver it really in that little mid-pack busy spot who's not used to being in that busy spot a little bit it kind of felt like that i don't know or maybe he, he just, should be yeah. used to it you yeah. know like with for i think it is i think it is more honestly like the driver situation at ferrari seems to be like these are guys who are frustrated yeah like these yeah. are these are guys who are frustrated with the pace of the car they're frustrated frustrated with where they are starting and I just think there was a bit of that like first lap desperation of wanting to make up a bunch of ground and not get stuck uh, in the DRS train for the remainder of the race. But these are, you know, it's it's interesting to me the degree to which I increasingly feel this year, especially Max has turned into a different driver. Uh, you know, you you alluding to the fact that he, he he's even said you know I have a world championship to think about, but. This is a guy who now knows that everything is in his favor, and so it's 180 degrees from what like we knew from Max at the start, where like car wasn't great. He was kind of he was an aggressive driver, but also he was in a position where he had to play the hero. Man, now this this guy does not move a muscle unless the percentages are are in there for him. Mm. Uh, so it's is really striking the degree to which you know he is no longer the wild card in these approaches to the first, like, uh, real corners, where his peer, Leclerc, is actually maybe becoming, and certainly Carlos, uh, they're becoming, like, sketchier guys yeah. to encounter in these scenarios. Uh, well, as you mentioned, Danny, we do get a bunch of pit stops here. Ocon, Perez, Joe, Sargent, and Botas, a lot of those in the back. Uh, Perez actually pitted twice back-to-back, Um he started on the hard tires, so he went to medium to satisfy the second compound and then went back to hearts. I You're think everyone me. else uh, also wow. ended up on the hard tire. So they're trying I to pull Sar- an Alex yeah. Albon here and go the distance on uh, the hard tire and hopefully hopefully not having to pit again. Um, but uh, we do get, uh, as you said, uh, a, a safety car which then is restarted a few laps later with a rolling start with Russell in first, Hamilton second, Verstappen third, uh, Sainz fourth, Alonso fifth. Albon up to sixth. Yeah. He's in a great spot until he isn't. Yeah, and nothing happens really between those two incidents. I will say that uh, you had Russell feeling clearly a bit pressed by Hamilton, uh, sort of, or, or more that they were trying to give him pace instructions, and he was frustrated because... He felt like Hamilton was coming straight at him while the team was trying to manage his pace, and it was just yeah. like it was it was too much to to deal with. But uh, the the like things really fall apart because it feels like George is in the catbird seat. Uh, you know, here he has he has good pace. He was pulling out a lead on Verstappen, even though uh, you know Max did have uh, purple laps in him by lap six. Like maybe the work of catching catching Russell up was already begun, but it was kind of mooted by the fact that Albin uh, ends up having a spin that takes him into a wall at pretty high speed. It's a little gnarly. Uh, he gets into the wall and almost bounces back across the track into yeah. Nico Hulkenberg's uh, path. Sketchy, very sketchy. Yeah, it's like one of those things where, you know, if if that car bounces out more into the racing line and Hulkenberg uh, reacts differently, you know, I mean, it's it's one. Of, it has the makings of like one of those deadly broadside incidents that yeah. we saw like in Spa with Antoine Hubert. Uh, mm. So it was like a very alarming accident. But 
the damage didn't seem that extensive. It, you know, like the worst was avoided. It seemed like a pretty routine spin and like brush with a wall. But the gravel, Rob. Would somebody yeah, and- think of the gravel? So Mercedes react immediately. Russell goes in for that pit stop. He didn't take the first pit stop that was yeah. on offer with the safety car, but this one clearly Signs is going to be safety car. Two, I think he jumps into. Uh, yes, he does. Um, so so they both they both go in uh, to get the the free pit stop. Hamilton is complaining that they've totally screwed him with the strategy, <laughs> and then they call the red flag. He was rubbing his monkey paw when he said that. He had a little one in the car with him and. Wah, wah, wah. Red flag. Too much gravel on the track, Drew. Yeah, I, and just to uh, cap off the the Albon thing, it, it, after the race, Albon and Williams both chalked the spin up to uh, overheating tires. Williams' head of vehicle performance, Dave Robson, in this quote from race fans, said, unfortunately, touching the curb at high speed in turn five led to a small snap and a spike in tire temperature, which led him, Alex, to lose the car at the next corner that is wow. wild to me if if indeed yeah. that's true commentators were saying something like did he have a slow puncture or did something because it was such a weird action to happen you know what yeah because it like just like like he, he looks like he just turns into like a normal turn but and just loses it we never see people really go off there yeah. you know because it's it's not that it's a high i feel like it's a high grip turn because you're sort of your turn you're pushing into it a little bit and it's not like a it's not like you can get a, a, a snap of throttle there you wouldn't you know you can lift and coast through that one you can it's not that type of turn so well yeah. and Alvin especially have been fast through that portion of the racetrack yeah. the entire oh, weekend but yeah. you could say that is like maybe like on the one hand maybe he totally owned that section and like it's even less likely that he would have an incident there or, or maybe was this was it. a place where he felt he had an exact mm. grip on what the edge was, and maybe just, just overcooked it. What a bummer! Because uh, they're in sixth, right? Like, yeah, such a great opportunity for Williams. It's so sad. But yeah, I feel you, like, I, like I like Albin a lot. I just feel like any time something can go wrong to derail a good performance from him, going back to those like that series of brushes with Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah, is it, it just a, it, a like a bit it, of Icarus it, about him. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really kind of it, it's really painful because like. He seems to be a really good driver, but there's an intangible quality where, like, shit just finds him (laughs) on the racetrack. And I worry about, like, the longevity and the ceiling of his career in in light of that. Mm. Uh, Well, as you mentioned, the red flag does come out on lap eight, uh, meaning everyone gets to change tires if they want and retain their position. So Russell effectively lost the lead of the race uh, for nothing. Uh, And signs who went... Uh, from 4th to 11th. Russell, by the way, comes out in 7th place. And, you know, Mercedes was trying to just split the strategy here, you know, put someone else on a, uh, you know, a more aggressive tire strategy, assuming that the race would continue on uh, and that they would have multiple options. Um, Although I was, you know, I was excited to, you know, watch um, uh, Verstappen try to get by both Mercedes cars. You know, I, I thought at a track that's, you know, Difficult to pass on. So, um, yeah, there were, uh, things kept changing very, very quickly. And uh, they didn't stop because on the grid, we go to a standing start. Um, we uh, are, let's see, not technically on a formation lap, but an actual race lap. Hamilton setting a slow pace uh, as they make their way to the grid, which gets a little dicey for two reasons. Reasons. <clears throat> Number one, Verstappen's on the radio saying, "Like, wait a minute, isn't this more than ten car lengths? Check it." Um, 
which they're uh, so smart, aren't they? They're so honest. They're like, well, any even, yeah, any advantage. Yeah. The, you know, these these guys know the rules. Uh, they know the rules when it behooves them to know them. Yeah, um, he was wrong in this respect, but yeah, the rule it, it, is you yeah. are supposed to maintain at least uh, closer than ten car lengths to the safety car, except when the safety car's lights go out, indicating that it is pulling off. So as soon as that happens, the car right behind the safety car, in this case Lewis Hamilton, in first. Can, gets to choose the pace. Um, that is uh, Article 58.12, if you're curious. Right. Uh, but number two, the cars at the back aren't expecting Lewis to slow down this much and have to take avoiding action, uh, Magnuson even having to speed through uh, the gravel trap, uh, which is not a good yeah. look. Where uh, Albon had come off. Where, where was that? I always forget where this ha- Where was that crazy incident that happened two years ago? It was the, it was the 2020 season. Do you remember where... They all slowed down. It was one of those... Fi- it wasn't Portimao. It was one of the fill-in. It was a turkey. It was somewhere where we had a fill-in race. And remember they had that big incident where they mm. all crashed other safety car on the start-finish stretch. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. That's the one in Italy, right? Uh, this was... Um... Was it Magello? Yeah, well, I feel like that happened at Magello. That sounds about right. I forgot that we drove there. We did three in Italy that year. Yeah, do you remember that incident? It was a similar thing. Just the deceleration, how quickly it catches them out if they're, if they're doing too, if they're you know going too fast. Um, yeah, well, yeah, the, obviously, the stewards. This time, nobody got hit. The stewards themselves um, want standing start uh, procedures reviewed after this. Uh, right. So they actually okay. um, came to the FIA going like, "Hey, li- listen." <laughs> there probably should be some kind of rule here. Um, but uh, as it stands, or as they stood, it was Hamilton in first on the restart, followed by Verstappen, Alonso, Stroll, Gasly, Hulkenberg, Russell, Sunoda, Norris, and Piastri uh, rounding out the top 10. <laughs> Do you want to take us through another restart here? Yeah, sure. I mean, good start from Hamilton right off the, the, the blocks, Verstappen behind him. Um, Nick DeVries and Ocon had a weird coming together mm-hmm. on turn three that popped DeVries into the air and had him in plumb last. I think Russell had a really good start. Did he get past Stroll that fast? Very quickly he made it up start? to fifth. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Perez is still in 16th at this point, which is worth mentioning, especially because there's two cars out. So he's actually third last, which uh, considering you know it's now been whatever, 10 laps, or so, granted, some of those were under safety car, but he's 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 having a bit of a struggle trying to make his way through it. Uh, and also, I think Carlos Sainz get pa- gets past Norris uh, around that time as well and starts making his way back up the field. Right. Uh, lap 12, uh, DRS is switched on, and it is on between Verstappen and Hamilton. Mm. In the end, it's not a terribly exciting pass since Verstappen just kind of uh, breezes by around the outside into, I think that's turn 11, uh, making it look easy. Uh Let's see. Also, lap 13, Russell makes a great pass on Gasly for fourth. But then, (laughs) uh, let's see, three, no, five laps later, Russell pulls over with fire shooting out of the back of his car. Uh, I feel like this has happened a lot. I feel like I've seen Russell driving well and then his car going on fire or something happened. Really, I feel like you don't get a lot of Mercedes technical failures. That's, I guess maybe I'm just maybe the shock of that really bad one where he almost won when he was filling in. Do you oh, remember that? Yeah, up in I mean, Jeddah or whatever. Which yeah. tires? Yeah, yeah. And then of was... course, like there was never a shortage of misfortune around him at Williams. Williams, yeah, it was uh, always something some of it wrong. self-authored. But I also feel like it's just kind of a 
it feels like reliability has, uh, you know, it's still a, still a gremlin for a, a lot of these teams. But the, yeah, it was a pretty spectacular uh, driving along with the whole tail on fire. And the funny thing was, uh, when you got the in car from Russell's point of view, the engine never sounded wrong. Like oh, really? the engine, like was, uh, you know, it's it, so, you know, usually when something goes catastrophically wrong with the with the motor, uh, with the power unit. The whole car kind of goes dead, or you hear like something in mm. the note to indicate something has gone horribly wrong. Uh, Mercedes sounded fine, so it was you know really the the fact that it was just a blaze uh, that that yeah. you know was the signal that he had to, he had to pull it off to the side. But it was a very unusual sort of uh, failure. Yeah, yeah, and, and an annoying place for it to happen because he had to drive past the entire pit. Yeah, yeah, he had just passed the pit entrance. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although maybe maybe he didn't want to repeat the supercars thing, um, but yeah. speaking of Perez, oh my he, god, this is when he starts to turn it on. Um, in particular, specifically on turn nine. Yes, <laughs> it's that tight left right. He does a couple of overtakes in quick succession, uh, passing Ocon on the inside for eleventh, and then Piastri on the outside for tenth. A couple of just beautiful moves, and then uh, he does Yuki. Uh, a, a lap later for on uh, for the next position, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and speaking of beautiful moves, uh, I really loved Signs' move on lap 25. Gasly. On Gasly. He swings yeah. left. He cuts back right. Leaves it late he on the brakes. Almost. Yeah. He kind of he jinks him. Like, ah, nah, I wasn't going down there, mate. Yeah. Going down the inside. This is on turn three, which is a tricky turn to overtake. You know. Yeah, this, but uh, it is enough to squeeze by on the inside. Uh, Gasly for well, fourth could, place. They could have gotten cleanly away from each other uh, at some point <laughs> in the way this race shook out. Um, but no, not to be. Yeah, and, and then I kind of yeah, don't have anything. I, are you, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> I was like, this is the point. I literally have the next like four notes that I have in, which are cover like 16 laps or something. I have them bolded because it's like nothing happened. <laughs> for, for a long time, it looked like this race was done. Yeah. Uh, there is one venture onto the grass by Verstappen at turn 13 as a result of a front lockup. Oh, yeah, that was a big, that was a big bobble. Yeah. Um, uh, the and the the Piastri Sunoda Magnuson train thing got very interesting there for mm. for a bit uh, mm. as you had sort of a three way fight where, as so often threatens to happen, but you rarely see it pan out this way, where the one defense move opens the door for the guy two cars back to start yes, to like try yes. and sneak through. It actually sort of played out uh, that way. In that, it's a very in that Formula whole, like, 3 encounter. thing, I feel like, yeah. <laughs> that, oh, that instance you're talking about. Yeah, it was it was fun, but yeah, the race got the, the race got pretty quiet there for a while. Like lap fifty, you have Verstappen uh, going off, and there's some speculation. Maybe there's some of the, those reliability issues. Maybe that brake thing is acting up. That got Perez uh, on Saturday, but also at that point in the race, you totally believe that like a lapse in concentration of just driving by yourself uh, for that long may have may have finally gotten to him. Uh, but then. Magnuson, speaking of like weird lapses, uh, Magnuson yeah. touches the wall with the right rear and it explodes effectively. Uh, and he coasts to a stop on the track at a pretty recoverable position and also like near a Marshall station with one of the little gates. But one of his tires is lying, the, the, the blown tire is lying in the middle of the track. Um, and so, like lap 53 here, uh, they called a. Red flag again. Red flag. Uh, 
I think it was a safety car, and then uh, one or lap and a half, two laps after that, they they called the the red. And I remember, you know, I was watching the replay of this, and as soon as a red flag happens, you're like, oh, okay, I can skip ahead. And there was still an hour to go. (laughs) So I was watching this live because it was like, I think by this stage it might be midnight. Yeah, I'm taking down to the <laughs> West something. Coast, uh, the late night race thing. Yeah, yeah. I was on the uh, shout out to all the folks in the Shift F1 Discord. We had a good laugh watching this race <laughs> uh, in the live chat over there. Uh, maybe it wasn't that late, but in the in on the East Coast it definitely wasn't. By the time I was going to bed, it was definitely in the the small hours. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting. I think by that stage as well, there was a thirst, right? Because it had it had been interesting, and then the race had been kind of boring with that Hulkenberg Lando Norris bit was a bit interesting as well but nothing had really happened so then when they waved the red flag there was a sort of an embrace the chaos feel in the discord (laughs) because it is a little bit weird like in in years past we would often see a safety car drive around for like six seven eight laps so it was like oh I'm because of standing starts this is cool because we get an understanding start. We're going to bunch them up. Verstappen's not been having necessarily the best starts. Um, this is interesting. But it did feel like a very for the entertainment rather than for the sport kind of move. So that's certainly been our, some of the drivers raised this. I think uh, Russell and uh, Lando also mentioned after the race that it felt like these restarts were kind of being done to to punch up the show a bit. And certainly like the standing start is one of the most exciting it's the uh, it's it's the F one equivalent of the penalty kick, right? Yes, Where yes. it is like it's just <laughs> maximum adrenaline and action with all the points on the table. But I will say I do feel like more broadly, and I think some of this stems from not just uh, Jules uh, Jules Bianchi, but also various other glitches they've had with safety procedures with cars yes. running on track. That I think Red Bull, uh, Red Bull, sorry. Uh, I think F1 has developed a real preference for the red flag uh, as a way of just more easily controlling the track environment and avoiding even the possibility that something really like untoward could happen, which I sympathize with up to a point, but my reaction, especially what followed, I wasn't happy with the red flag. I kind of felt like the race had been run. It felt like to have the contrivance of a standing start that close to the end uh, felt a bit bogus to me. But I think the big thing is what, what pans out later is every time you do this, in the name of making it so that you don't have to create a gap in traffic for a course worker to run out and collect a tire or for a truck to pull up and like haul one of the cars away. Uh, you are creating the possibility of a multi-car accident at the restart. And so it's like, it's one of those things where your risk mitigation for one type of accident is also drastically increasing, increasing your yeah. odds of something else, especially with these new tires. Late, as well. And this late in the race, yes. you know, when you're doing a standing restart halfway through a race, there's a lot of incentive to still be like, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of distance le- left to cover. Let's not get crazy. A two lap sprint with full championship points on the table, the balance between good judgment and aggression is just going to be thrown off. Yeah, um, cars are like. Light- yeah, cars are light. It might be worth wrenching. I think we've covered this before. The reason why they do allow the tire swap during the red flag is a safety issue, right? It's to yeah. make sure that you are do not have people out there on scrubbed up tires that who may not pit when they should because they might lose position. Um, so 
it was with this energy that I was sort of coming in going, okay, then let's just have chaos. Let's have an absolute chaos, crazy end to this race. That's what we're all looking forward what to. What did you do? Oh my dear God. <laughs> my monkey paw curled its finger. And this was the, f- I'm so glad no one got hurt because this was, I found this incredibly funny. This was a very funny 40 seconds that then happened. Well, shall I walk? Shall I go through it? Sure. Let me let me set the top 10. It's Verstappen in first, then Hamilton, Alonso, Sainz, Gasly, Stroll, Perez, Norris, Hulkenberg, Ocon. Okay. I will try and get all of this right first time. So the front few get away uh, fine. The, 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 there's, a, there's a bit of a battle between. Um, it's kind of a mess. There's a battle between Alonso, who is in third, Sainz, who, as Rob talked about before, is maybe a little bit less patient than he might be, um, given what's been going on at Ferrari. Um, and also, who is the lead Alpine at this stage? Gasly. Gasly. Okay, so Gasly has a bit of a rough... It looks uh, to me a little like Hamilton was kind of slow behind Verstappen, and that created kind of a bottleneck or like a like a little concertina because yeah. there was there was a multiple concertina problem which happened here, which made it so that Perez ended up going out onto the gravel, I think because of Gasly slowing down a bit. Yeah, neither um, of them make that turn. No, uh, Alonso um, really doesn't make. Well, he maybe makes that turn, but then he ends up getting spun around by Carlos Sainz, who is basically sort of. Uh, dive bombing is the is the wrong word, but he is he is optimistic in in his in the amount of pace he's taking into that turn to try and make it, given the amount of traffic. So I he believe ends up the verb Alonso. is YOLO. He was yes, he was he was YOLO swagging swagging his, his way through that. Which at that stage, people were like, "Oh, great, Alonso might get a third podium in a row. That'd be crazy. That'd be so. That'd be really cool." So that happens. Uh, everyone else gets bunched up again. They get sort of like concertinaed into this little sort of pack of people avoiding Alonso and then also like cars returning onto the track, Gasly being one of them. Uh, Gasly sort of comes out. Uh, at this stage, Nico Hulkenberg has like popped up. I think he's in fourth position at this stage. Gasly's rejoining the track and perhaps in an effort to, to find a lane for turn three, pulls to the right and just completely... T- takes out his team. I mean, they take each other out. Well, this thing, he, so he and Sainz were side by side heading into that first turn. Mm. Like, they were both trying to outbreak each other into it. Sainz causes the accident by getting into Alonso. Gasly can't make the turn, shoots off, and then, yeah, him coming back on just creates the worst scenario possible for Alpine, which was poised to have a really like season oh. salvage. Now, you know, it's, yeah. again, it's all it's it's early, but at the same time, like things have been off to a bumpy start, and they really needed these points. Big points all available, and I and Don't what's forget interesting the background. is sorry, go ahead. Oh, of the two of them. No, in the backfield, uh, Sergeant locks up oh, and just you're right. careens into the back of Devries. Yes, he does, and then as we get down to turn three. Um, uh, we have uh, Lance Stroll, who has found himself in a terrific position. I think he's in third. He's in Alonso's uh, he's, he's old in spot. Fifth, oh, is he? Is I he think. that far back? Um, totally misses the breaking point on turn three and just goes straight out into the gravel. Um, and then there is a red flag done. Almost as if, as he's making his way through there, there's a red flag that's yeah. happened again. Stroll has not even come to rest. And the red flag comes out. 
and and so immediately there's like, well, that was silly. Um, I wonder if they'll do a standing start again. I hope they do. <laughs> they should keep doing this until there's no cars left and that's the winner. Um, but also there's the question of, well, when was the race order established for these guys? Because are we going to finish on the red flag? Like, are we going to restart the race? Do we need to restart the race? You know, we talked before about the the many. You know, the the usual thing is that races uh, they have to have be finished within three hours of the start. And um, there's you know issues with sunlight in many places, like there certainly is here. Um, and also, the full race length itself can't be higher than two hours. And we're not coming up against any of those, so there's no reason not to restart the race. But will we do it as a standing start? Will they do it as a, a safety car parade? What's going to happen? Did they complete enough of that one lap? I think it's not a full lap run unless they do at least one sector. So did they complete the first sector, which will knock notch one lap off? Because there's a world in which they do a safety car restart and they're gone with one lap left, or they do a uh, grid restart, standing start, where there could be as many as two. And both of those sound insane. I mean... Abu Dhabi, <laughs> notwithstanding, yeah, right. both of those sound insane. You know what I mean? I was laughing to myself saying, what they should do is just do another safety car restart, but just let the first five cars unlap themselves. You know? <laughs> just like, because Michael Massey was there as well. That's true. He was, he was in the pit. So it was, it was very like, yeah, there was an element of sort of deja vu happening here. Uh, well, as the under red flag, Signs gets <laughs> some unfortunate news over the radio. Uh, he is the only one to earn a penalty for his incident, Mm. uh, with these stewards stating after the race, uh, we took into account the fact that this collision took place at the first lap of the restart when, by convention, the stewards would typically take a more lenient view of incidents. However, in this particular case, we considered that there was sufficient gap for car 55 uh, signs to take steps to avoid the collision and failed to do so. We accordingly imposed a five-second penalty on car 55. Which, which, if you get a five-second penalty, you're like, oh, ugh, I'm going to miss like one or two places maybe. But if you're doing a five-second penalty where you're all going to finish behind a safety car, that, I, the minute that came over, I just felt like that is the worst five-second penalty that has ever happened in Formula 1. They yeah. might as well have given him a 20-second stop-go. That was yeah. like, oh, my God. Your yeah, disqualification. <laughs> well, totally. He and Gasly committed the same error effectively. Like it's one of the it's one of those things. It's like the um, you know two people drive drunk on the same night, right? One kills <laughs> someone and the other person gets home fine. But they both did the same thing, and it's just like the 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 randomness of the outcome that decides what's what's going to unfold. So it's not even that because Gasly still took out his teammate <laughs> in the middle of this. So like. That analogy doesn't even hold because it's not like it almost feels like they after science has the initial accident, the stewards kind of throw their hands up and be like, "Boy, things sure got crazy because of that accident, right?" And it's like I think Gasly might have been in trouble regardless of whether or not cars were flying around because uh, of what had happened with with Alonso and Science. Oh, as far as far, yeah, I think Gasly, Gasly, arguably all of what happened to Gasly is completely nothing to do he's the they're the only car he's the only car that gets that has nothing to do and i guess perez as well with what happened because he completely skipped all that and by the time he rejoined the track the concertina had stopped because they were all driving down 
So like his crash had and nothing then he's like, to I do. I got to get back on that drafting line. Yeah, I know. Right it, away. I know. It was one. Of, it reminded me a little bit of the Danny Kvyat Roman Grosjean crash, where when Grosjean after he had that horrific um, crash with the fireball. Uh, he had done it taking a fairly weirdly aggressive right lane. He was trying to get around Hulkenberg and just like drove into Kvyat and ended up crashing his car. It reminded me of that where it was like, I guess you just didn't want to lift off. Like you wanted, you you saw the gap and you, maybe you're extra frustrated that you were that far back, which is also what was the case in Grosjean's crash. And you were just trying to make up some places. Um, Did they just really not want to hand Gasly the race ban? Because that was what was in in play. Is like he racked right. up more. Oh, you're kidding! Uh, penalty points. Yeah. on his oh. license. Uh, you know, because they haven't cooled off. Right, they are still. They haven't. They take a year to cool off. Rolling yeah. expiry. Yeah, and so he's still on that bubble, and it's kind of like uh, you know, guys not getting called for the fifth foul in an NBA yes. game, yeah, yeah. where it's like, oh, do we want to take him out for this? But there's certainly an argument I, that that Gasly earned it as much as if, if Signs got a penalty. Like Gasly was literally right next to him. If, if they were have the to rejoin teammates. safely, yeah. If they weren't teammates, I wonder. I'd love yeah. to know what the 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 thing was there. But of course, the other issue here, there's one other thing. Oh, is that Alonso was on the radio immediately? Oh, saying a second after the un- crash. Did we did we get through a sector? I am right. be- never playing an RPG be- with that man. I, right? Because also because you're thinking <laughs> the other thing is that Alonso. We all think Alonso's crashed out. Alonso's car's still running. Yeah. So if they if they roll back that those positions, then then hey, nothing nothing happened. The, all is forgiven, Carlos. Don't worry about it. That's maybe the funniest thing, is that because that is what happened. So Carlos signs ends up getting a penalty for something which, uh, an incident which ultimately did not matter. Well, <laughs> and then you're right. It's everyone... completely erased. <laughs> it's like the drunk driver hit the pedestrian. I and the didn't pedestrian even think of that. Did a did a flip. And landed perfectly no, fine again. The pedestrian was a crash test <laughs> dummy. Dummy, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't even matter. Meet Joe Black. Yeah, uh, yeah, the, exactly. But but and here's the other kicker: like things that would just like cut, like cause like pencil snapping frustration is. So it's all like, uh, this should, what a mess of a restart. Got to fix this all up. Everyone resume your places. The, the start is erased. By the way, we've run out of time to do any actual racing, so we're just going to run a formation lap to bring this thing to a close, but we're never doing racing on this circuit again for this for this year's installment. Alpine, sorry about your cars. Yeah. Uh, everyone's getting their places back, but Except because you. your two shambles of F1 cars can't make it to the grid, uh, you get DNFs, and those points go elsewhere. It's amazing, and then and then lastly, Carlos, the safety guard's gonna come in, and they don't need to keep. Uh, they can be as close to you as they want when you're going to the finish line. So you better you better hustle, mate. <laughs> so when they come around, you see Carlos signs basically like create a gap so that he can drive into the gap uh-huh. as fast as fast as he can, and he goes. I believe it's from fourth to twelfth. Yes, which is effectively seconds. last. It might as well be. There was no. Oh, one you're right. Actually, thirteenth. Oh, was there not? No. Oh, so he literally was. He wasn't even just out of the points. He was literally last. That's so funny. Yes. What a silly sport. I think this is. <laughs> I think if so, this is the most Formula One race that has ever happened. Yes. Because it's it, just it, entirely based on weird idiosyncratic rules and where they meet each other. It is, but this is the thing. Like, I feel like it's getting out of hand just in terms of they're calling too many red flags. And they they have to figure out a way to do <sighs> routine accident recovery 
without stopping the race and while letting like they need like find a way to get some of this compatible virtual safety car and also like get your safety car restart procedures back you know in in place like get to a place where you can be comfortable doing this stuff because this multiple red flag situation uh one i think it's kind of a it makes a bit of a grind to watch the race like uh jetta in 2021 was also a wild race but it was also really annoying you know and this this was kind of starting to get get on my nerves by the end too where it was like Especially, especially when the big payoff for this is a formation lap and the race is just over. Mm. And it's like, I kind of wish we just called yellow when Magnuson uh, had the accident and we could have wrapped this up 45 minutes ago. Right. No, I, yeah. I was, I was just, I loved it. I thought it was so stupid. <laughs> I thought it was, it, it made, the start of the race was interesting. In a way, it, it's kind of annoying because the interesting parts of this race were crashes and that's not what we should want or what I want from Formula One. I don't watch... That's how I used to watch Formula One when I was, like, 10, when I didn't really care about any of the nuance. I was like, I want to see the cars hit into each other and fight each other and that type of thing. I think that's where a lot of people come in at with F1 as well, is, like, the danger of that. And the reason, the joy we get from it, hopefully, now as adults, is strategy and all that stuff, and, like, knowing they're close to the limit and all that sort of stuff. This was very much a race where it was boring unless there was cars crashing and kicking gravel around or smashing into each other. And that's not necessarily great. Um, So I can hear that, too. But that middle part of the... This felt like... You know, the, the, uh, Aronofsky, you know, Mother, that movie where it just, it's like every part of human history in one movie they try. This was like every F1 race had, it, it had the boring part in the middle where nothing happened. <laughs> it had a GRS train. It had, you know, an interesting start, a boring start, a red flag, a safety car, a virtual safety car, double wave jellos. It had absolutely. And then wailing and gnashing of teeth before the stewards. Uh, yes, exactly. Like people yeah. citing chapter and verse of the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Carlos was not happy. Someone who was happy, Max Verstappen, his first win here and Red Bull's first win in Albert Park since 2011. Lewis Hamilton came home in second and Fernando Alonso from the sidelines finishes on the podium. Behind him, Lance Stroll. Sergio Perez comes home in fifth, having started from the pit lane. Lando Norris in sixth. How about that for some McLaren points? Uh, yeah. Nico Hulkenberg in seventh. Oh. And one last bit of weirdness here. If you watch the race conclude, you may have seen Hulkenberg pulled over after the checkered flag. Yes. This usually means that a car is out of fuel and would mean a penalty since you have to have enough fuel left after the race for a sample and being in danger of not having enough isn't an excuse for stopping on track. As it turns out, uh, reading from his radio transcript uh, on racefans.com, on the last lap, Hulkenberg says, I lost the engine. You're okay, kidding me. I think it's okay again. And then his engineer replies, uh, it's okay to go to the end. It's okay to go to the end. Hulkenberg then says, I think I lost the gear sink. Going back and forth. He basically limps across the line with an ailing engine. And then as soon as he crosses the line, is told to stop the car. That's unbelievable. And he was oh, yeah. the one directly behind signs. Uh, he, he was behind he? Norris. Oh, he was okay. All right, yeah. he was, oh, man, and and he was the biggest loser. Like that would have been just heartbreak after heartbreak because oh yeah, if 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 they had called the race because he was in fourth by the time the red flag was called, Hulkenberg he had gotten 
Hulkenberg was in fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So when they rejiggered everyone, he was the one who actually lost out the most. Um, yeah, he, you could argue. Uh, right. I think it's something posting like if that had stood, but then Sainz still gets the penalty, Hulkenberg's on the podium. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. is a heartbreaker oh, for Hulkenberg. Oh. Yes. Which he has never had, and but, Haas has. Oh, never. and then he could then go back to that window store in yeah. Texas. Oh my gosh. And be like, where those fucking kid. kids at? Where are those kids? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, so that was in real time. That was the heartbreak. Was like, oh, if Sainz gets a penalty for that, yeah, then Hulkenberg gets his first podium. Also, that uh, kid's like in college, and that kid, the kids <laughs> in that window store thing, are like, what's a podium? Still not. Is that a win? No. Okay. But the but, thing is, all all you would have, if I'm if I'm reading the rules right, all you would have to do is get into that second sector, and then when the race restarts, they restart it at the order that. The cars were in yes. when they entered the second sector. Right. Crazy. Uh, and they were so, right on the edge. It was right on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just say this, though. Hulkenberg is bringing it. Yes, he like, is. He is. Making, like, this is the, oh. He's making K-Mag look like Mick Schumacher. Why Oof. did nobody Oof. ever think of just hire the, like, experienced old dude? Uh, just get your, just get a steady old hand in there and just, like, drive the car. Don't be a hero. Because he because he it. had he had him he had that thing we're talking about with Albon that was Hulkenberg yeah right like that he was the guy who ended his F one career upside down you know what I mean yeah. like like he's 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 uh, you know in a way you could almost say like hey look he almost had it again this time but like yeah you're right he's he's been consistent he's been the vindication tour is on yeah it's amazing I'm really yeah. happy for him hundred yeah. uh, percent in eighth place Oscar Piastri double points for McLaren mm. uh, ninth Zhou Guan Yu. And in 10th, Yuki Tsunoda. Behind mm. them, Valtteri Bottas and Carlos Sainz, the only cars running uh, that did not get points. So De Vries didn't get around again? Did he not? He was out? No. Okay. Uh, yeah, so out of the race were wow. uh, Pierre Gasly, Esteban Ocon, Nick De Vries, Logan Sargent, Kevin Magnussen, George Russell, Alex Albon, and Charles Leclerc. They were both out, Logan and De Vries. They never got back on. Wow. Mm. And Perez... Set the fastest lap, so we got an extra point. <laughs> well done, Sergio. It all worked out in the end. Sure did. Uh, driver standings after the Australian round. Max Verstappen is on top with 69 points. Sergio Perez finishing in fifth with that extra point. Now has 54. He's in second place. Mm. Third place, Fernando Alonso with 45 points. Then Lewis Hamilton in fourth with 38 uh, two-way tie for fifth place with, between Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll with 20 points. Then George Russell in seventh with 18. Oh. Lando Norris has eight. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg and Charles Leclerc in ninth place with six points. How about that for a tie? Yeah. Um, Valtteri Bottas, Esteban Ocon, Oscar Piastri all have four. Oh, and Pierre Gasly. And we've got Joe Guan Yu with two. And then Yuki Tsunoda, Kevin Magnussen, and Alex Albon with one. The only... Two zeros are Logan Sargent and Nick DeVries. And uh, the constructor, sorry, sorry go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I'll say it after constructor. All right, constructors, Red Bull Racing is on top with 123 points to Aston Martin's 65. Mercedes is in third with 56. Ferrari has 26. McLaren's mm. in fifth with 12. Alpine has eight. Gene Haas and team have seven. Alfa Romeo has six. That's a tight battle. Uh, and then Alpha Tauri and Williams both have one. Uno. Uh, yeah, the only thing I was going to say is 
hearing Alfa Romeo has six points actually makes me feel a bit more positive about it. But man, that Alfa Romeo does not seem particularly hot at all. Seems like it's, I don't know, whenever I look at it, it looks like it's underperforming. Also, they changed the uh, little color on the TV screen. And every time I see it, it looks like it's like, it looks like a, what do you call it, Chinese symbol or a Japanese, what do you call that script? Whatever it is, it looks like. A pictogram? Yeah, whatever it is. I always think, I'm always like, what the fuck? They simplified, so they used to have a tiny, a very tiny, but fully detailed uh, Alfa Romeo badge. There. Right, and, and then they like, did a simplified version, and it does it does kind of throw. They me changed off. it between the races, though. We actually got an email huh. about this as well. Yeah. And I checked, and it's true. After race one and two, they did they just changed the logo like the full on the one. screen. Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, we've not stopped to talk about it, me talking about logos. <laughs> uh, yeah, because we've got some news here. Let's kick things off with Williams, Rob. Rocket. Yeah, so I didn't expect this to be coming back from the dead. Uh, remember, yeah, uh, Rocket was their sponsor a number of years back. It was their sponsor around the time that COVID hit, and this is material to this case. Uh, so Rocket has now filed a lawsuit in a federal court in Florida uh, suing uh, su- suing Williams for damages uh, for like the end of the the end of the sponsorship agreement between the two companies and claims that Williams uh, made around the time of the end of the partnership, but and this is the really interesting wrinkle, also alleging that Williams misrepresented the state of their racing program uh, at the time of mm. doing the sponsorship deal, and claiming that they had a like claiming that they had uh, credible resources and plans to field a competitive car. When in fact they were miles off from being able to do that, given the team's dire financial circumstances at the time, and so Rocket is kind of accusing, kind of accusing Williams of a bit of fraud here, right? Which which is really interesting because I've never we heard a bit of this with Rich Energy when things were in their full uh, death spiral between Rich Energy and Haas. Uh, the dude in charge of Rich Energy was doing all those shit posts about how bad Haas was racing that year, uh, how much that car sucked. But I can't think of a time, maybe people can remember, maybe this has come up before. I can't think of it ever being like a fact that a sponsor could like raise as an objection, being saying yeah. that like the car wasn't good enough. You weren't good enough. But we paid for I mean, it. If it's in the contract. <laughs> well, so this is the thing. Rocket already lost uh, arbitration processes with, uh, like, with Williams at the time of the partnership of the sponsorship ending in 2020. So the background of this was the COVID season hits. Rocket, I guess, like, kind of unilaterally says, "Well, we paid for a full se- sponsorship for a full season of F1 and display of our logo for a full season. This is obviously a fraction of a season. We want to prorate the contract." And Williams basically, you know, told him to go pound sand and went to an arbitration court uh, in the UK, I think. And they were found, uh, they found in favor of Williams and like Rocket, I think, had to fork over the value of the the sponsorship. And Williams uh, was able to then move on from the Rocket partnership. And then a separate action in the US confirmed that the arbitration agreement was binding and that would hold up. But this is kind of a new wrinkle, which is, the, the, I think the, the, the distinction here is they're not suing outcome in terms of the car wasn't competitive. 
What they are alleging, I think here, is that Williams knew fully well that their racing program was in a shambles and they could not afford to build uh, a viable racing program that year. They could not mm. create a good race car because the, the team was in such dire financial circumstances uh, that nothing they were saying to Rocket could come to pass. Yeah, if they're, if they're misrepresenting their position, I think there's, you know, I'm, not, I'm no, you know, corporate lawyer, lawyer, but to me that's, I can see how if they were, you know. But also Rocket is an incredibly weird company that I distrust. Absolutely. <laughs> so can we can we talk about Rocket for a second? So Rocket's like a weird like incubator investment fund type thing that seems to sponsor a lot of racing and also does lots of other weird stuff that probably makes absolutely no money like they, they have publish like video games and they have phones. an energy drink. Yes, and they I probably they also have a fashion line. They also publish video games. They published a Bible video game on Steam last what? year. Yeah, they they're very. I don't like. It just seems like some people have some money, and they're just doing stuff with the money, <laughs> and I don't think it's making any money. So, so as much as like you know, as much as the, in any type of this stuff, you're always looking at you know where's. It's like a petrochemical company. Rocket has always freaked me out. Like the, the, I get rich oh, yeah. energy vibes from them. It's it's a very strange it's a very strange sponsor uh, to be sure. It's a it's a weird co- corporate profile. Uh, <laughs> so what they're the, the thing they're hanging their case on is that when the U.S. court found in favor of upholding the arbitration uh, agree uh, uh, settlement. The argument that Rocket is making is that the arbitration uh, court was misled by, like, effectively uh, deceptive statements uh, mm. that, that Williams made, and that with new information coming to light that Rocket is going to present, it's going to show that Williams did not act in good faith. It's going to blow the doors off this case. Uh, for it's $149 million. But the other thing mm. that is worth mentioning is, like, filing the suit in Florida... Uh, now it's a federal court in Florida, oh. but like one of the things about the U.S. legal system is that you can go judge shopping. Like, right? Federal judges are appointed for life, and you know who is on the bench. Now it's not one to one. Like it's not like there's a judge for Florida. There's still going to be a pool of judges that you're drawing from. But there are like venues where your odds of getting a certain type of judge who would be favorable to a certain type of like action. Uh, is more likely to be found. This is sort of famously what happened with the Gawker lawsuit, uh, right? You know where you the 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 Hulk Hogan lawsuit, I think, went into the Florida system in part because there were courts there that were like very friendly to a broader, uh, you know, more expansive definition of libel, invasion of privacy than was uh, common across the rest of jurisprudence. So that's the that's the other weird thing is like going to a Florida court suggests that they like that they've got a guy that they picked out where right. like there's there's a judge or two here that they think they can land where they might be able to get some traction with this. Um, interesting to see how it plays out. Remember, this mm. is all on the eve of Williams selling out the Doralton Capital, so. You know, there is some, there's certainly some reason to believe there'd be some smoke to the, behind the, uh, there'd be some fire behind the smoke that Williams wasn't really in a position to compete. I think we all kind of know that. Uh, but it's a, it's an interesting case. And like, if it progresses very far, it sets a very weird precedent uh, for motorsport sponsorships. Indeed. 
Well, speaking of very weird, uh, CEO of Formula One, Stefano Domenicali, is saying some stuff about the weekend format. Uh, Back in August, he told race fans, quote, free practice is very interesting for the engineers or for the drivers, but at the end of the day, in sport, you need to fight for something. Uh, (laughs) And he's basically been proposing uh, some changes to the F1 commission. Um, He says uh, before that, quote, I will be very aggressive to have one free practice in the morning on Friday, and then every time we go on the track with the respect of the race on Sunday, uh, that has to be always the most important part of it. There should be something to fight for in terms of points, in terms of awards. So I was kind of surprised to hear. I missed that quote. That is a more radical quote than I've heard from him Mm, before. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. So I was surprised not only that they're considering uh, having fewer practice sessions, uh, but that the drivers seem to be on board for this. So uh, Russell, in another Race Fans article, says... Uh, who's, by the way, the uh, chairman of the uh, Grand Prix Drivers Association. Right. Uh, Quote, you don't want to be just left with a car that you created at the start of the year with no opportunity to try on new things. This is sort of the beauty sometimes. You've got the 60-minute session. You can try new things, develop, improve further. Whereas if you're going straight into a session that is points-worthy or there is a reward, you're less likely to try new things. But he continues... I don't think it's right that Formula One has three times the amount of practice that you get in Formula Three and Formula Two categories. They should be the ones getting more practice, also because they're doing fewer races. Uh, They don't get to test that often. No practice would be too little. I wasn't in favor of the sprint races initially, but having done six in the two years, I really enjoy the sprint races. Having action on a Friday, I think, is vital for all of us and also for the entertainment factor. Uh, three other drivers agreed with him. Gasly, Hulkenberg, and Sargent, who just came from Formula 2, uh, says that having three-hour practice sessions is, quote, definitely a lot, especially coming from F2, where you just have to take risks a lot sooner than I currently have to. So as a rookie, I don't mind having two or three, but going forward, I don't think three is necessary. So practice is one thing. Qualifying is another. You guys like qualifying? I like qualifying. What if we had two qualifyings? Why would we qualify twice? We have three so, qualifyings right now, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this also from race fans. F1 is considering a revised format under which a second qualifying session would be held to decide the starting order for the sprint race. Because uh, currently... Wait, what? Yeah, wait. check this out. Currently, a sprint weekend starts on Friday with practice one and then qualifying. Yes. Yeah. Then on Saturday, we've got that weird practice two... That serves no purpose. Yes. And yes. then the sprint. So what if qualifying one set the grid for the race and qualifying two set the grid for the sprint? That would stop people Wait. phoning it in on the sprint. Wait. Which is a wor- which is a worry. But also this seems wait. No wait, 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 wait. Stupid. The, the, Why the, don't how about this? The, Why the don't sprint we you, you, sets the grid? This yes, but not and, anymore. And no. But not anymore. Is what, yes. Yes. Which I which which Well then we're just doing a sprint race to do a sprint race. Yep. Yeah. Which I mean they do in F two and F three. It's a sep well, actually, no. Well, they don't do so, yeah, so maybe not. Uh. This is so this is part of a mm. and, and that was a that was an interesting quote, the whole like, every time they go on the track there should be something at stake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so their lives, Stefano? I don't know. I am this is the thing like so the thing I'm sympathetic <laughs> to is this idea that 
maybe with the added setup time, there's too much convergence in like setup quality that the field sort of stacks up. It gets very like there's not a lot of variance in in performance uh, that you would otherwise get. Uh, and I, I'm very sympathetic to the notion that like the feeder series desperately need more more seat time uh, to develop drivers and get them ready for the next step mm. in into uh, racing, be that F1 or elsewhere. But I do feel like, you know, this feels like we're three years now into a progressive drift to try to suck the marrow out of, like, an yes. F1 weekend. Yes, you're right. And in the face of a sport that, like, we call it a cost cap, but the other way of phrasing it would be a salary cap. Like, this is when this shit is introduced, like, and I was supportive of it because, like, no one likes the idea of, you know... Mercedes, one of the biggest audio manufacturers in the world, could just like spend other teams into oblivion. Like no one like likes the idea of that. But the way it is also clearly worked out is it's all drawing from a common pool. And so there's like downward pressure on like staffs and accommodations that teams can make for the staff who have to go to these things. And now the race weekends will be getting more intense because mm. let's face it, sprint races are going to generate more accidents. It's gonna require more like yeah. repair time. Just raise uh, the cost cap. What's wrong? What's wrong with that? Just completely undoing everything we just did. Uh, well, but, but, so, and they'll, then they'll raise it, but like not to the like. This is the classic uh, sports league stuff, right? Where it's like, yeah, maybe they will raise the cost cap, but not to the degree that they've increased the value they're extracting mm, from uh, a given Grand Prix weekend, while the people who like go out and make the thing happen are kind of making a lot of you know unless you're one of those exempt positions uh you're kind of making peanuts for a harder job well they're gonna try this at baku it seems um this is from autosport the basic plan now for sprint weekends is to have uh normal race qualifying on friday after fp1 with the grid set in stone and no impact on it from the result of the sprint so sprint qualifying qualifying for the sprint will take place on Saturday with a slightly shortened version of the usual three-session format. Although the exact timings are still being discussed, one likely option is to split the three sessions across 12, 10, and 8 minutes. So shorter Q1, Q2, Q3 for the sprint. And then I guess the sprint also takes place on that Saturday. Uh, however... Autosport also says a one-lap qualifying format for sprints has been talked about. Oh, hell yeah. Which yeah. One-shot qualifying, let's do it. I, I actually I think, think that's that really fun. cool. I think that's really cool. And if they don't do that, what they should do instead is set up an American Ninja Warrior thing on the mm -hmm. start-finish rate and have each driver attempt to do that. And whoever's the fastest at that gets to be uh, in front. I think that would be pretty good. I bet Nick DeVries will get a lot of pole positions. He seems like a pretty buff dude. Get it on. Uh, Verstappen, silly. not a fan of this. Not unsurprised. Uh, he's been unsurprised. really consistent across yes. the board. I, I, yes. I don't think it's been, I don't think it's just self-interest that like right now he's in a leading position with the rules no. as they are. He's been really he's, consistent he's, from the jump when this was introduced. He doesn't like the sprint weekends. Uh, he thinks it's a contrivance that it's more wear and tear. And he's also been a guy who's like mentioned the whole like increasing pressure and workload on staffs. Yeah. He's yep. a bit of a traditionalist, even if he's young. You know, he is kind of like an old school head on his shoulder. So, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, all right. Danny, what's this next one? Yeah, quickly, because just going to jump in on, uh, on on Ricardo. There was some funny back and forth between Christian Horner and um, 
why am I consistently forgetting the team principal of McLaren, Zach Brown? Um, well, they were talking about how Danny Ricardo, He's the CEO, hadn't been, but yeah, sorry, yes, uh, hadn't been uh, hadn't been CEO and team, but well, CEO who likes to be around um, about how Danny Ricardo hadn't been fed properly at McLaren because they told, <laughs> said he had to they had to get some more meat on his bones apparently, uh, but. Uh, another interesting thing that's come up in an interview Christian Horner did, um, this uh, quoted from race fans, is about uh, th- the thing that we have talked about sort of, uh, uh, you know, intermittently over the past couple of years, which is Daniel Ricciardo's inability to connect with a lot of uh, cars that aren't Red Bull over the years. Um, and there's a great uh, quote here. These are from Christian Horner. When he first turned up in Abu Dhabi, I think the problem is when you drive a car that has obviously has its limitations, you adapt and you try to adjust to extract the maximum out of the car. And it was clear when he came back that he had picked up some habits that we didn't recognize as the Daniel that had left us two or three years earlier. Ricardo feels like the car in the virtual world, this is him doing his virtual testing, uh, which seems to correlate well with what we're seeing in the actual world. He's desperate to get a run in the car at some point to validate that, the feeling, uh, but he's. Uh, but we're clearly seeing him getting back to being far more reminiscent of the Daniel that we knew. So that's that's an interesting thing, it's like the ability, I guess, that he couldn't really adapt to, to those older cars and that perhaps maybe with each of those cars he was learning some bad habits that maybe was coming on to the next one as well but the fact that Red Bull has sort of recognized that because they had the baseline Daniel maybe that's from right. when he was you know all those years ago I think that's very interesting that they were able to you know see the data on that there's also just a very little bit though of like rhymes with sneak doesn't it Danny right like like type of thing where it's like look what it, see you ran away look from what, us yeah look what happened to you Exactly. We'll feed your bed. We'll fill you up. We'll give you a warm bed. Uh, you exactly. Have to break you break all those horrible little habits that you yeah. developed when you were outside Repent. of our. Yeah, it's it's a little <laughs> bit. I, I like. I do buy it. I, I do. I can sort of see like that he would. I mean, Hamilton's talking about this year where he's you know he's driving well in this car, but he says he has no feel for it. Yeah. Um. And so it's 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 an odd thing uh, that can crop up where like drivers just. Like don't have a don't have a touch with the car they've been handed, and yeah. that's more likely with that car. Speaking of being handed bad hands, Rob, quickly, what is going on with Felipe Massa? <laughs> so this is probably not going to turn into anything. Cut to somehow this is turning turns into a massive scandal across the sports world. <laughs> the lawsuit that broke F one, but I'm going to say right here, I don't think it's going to turn into anything with the knowledge that it'll be tremendous content later. Uh, so Felipe Massa, as we all remember, one of the greatest finishes to an F1 championship, uh, you know, in ages, Lewis Hamilton's first world championship, the end of the season at Interlagos in 2008, Felipe Massa wins the race and appears to have won the world title, but with, uh, his family is celebrating seconds left. Hamilton gains a points position, uh, that enables him to, uh, get ahead of Massa and take the Drivers' World Championship for that year. Cut to Nicole Sernger running out into the pad and into the pit lane with her hands in the yeah the most dramatic ne- you never could not to be seen it. again yeah never uh, to be seen exactly. Yeah. Uh, but the so this has been like the defining event of of Massa's career. Uh, this is a thing that 
you know, comes up with interviews. The guy who like you know was championship for half of a, for was championship champion for half a lap, mm. uh, and has always sort of been pretty consistent about like having made his peace with it. And also, you know, really like if you look at it, they were a long shot coming to that race to begin with, so it was a thing that all prepared for. Uh, yes, it was more Hamilton it. almost losing it the second time in a row because the previous year he had dropped the ball in the last lap and lost his first championship in his rookie year. So there was that was more. You're right. It, that is more the story of it. Is more that Massa somehow had a Phoenix in the Flames moment and then it was taken away. Yeah. So now the obvious thing with the 2008 is like the, a championship that close. You have the sort sort of like butterfly effect, or for for want of a nail situation, where suddenly everything uh, looms very very large. And one of the things that looms very large is earlier that year the Singapore race. That is the race where Nelson Pickett Jr. Uh, staged a crash on Flavio Briatore's orders to set Alonso up with an advantageous pit stop uh, and help him like win a race at a time that Renault is uh, massively struggling. Um, but as a result of that, uh, Massa gets a a horrible finish in uh, in in Singapore. I think, yeah. So like this is decisive. Uh, Massa ends up in thirteenth. Uh, right. In Singapore, and Hamilton ends up on the podium, yeah. and so there is your difference. Now, it's been known that you know if Pickett doesn't do that, and Briatore doesn't order it to be done, Felipe Massa's world championship or, uh, champion. Everyone knows this. This is understood. Uh, but in the last couple weeks, and I can only imagine that this is Bernie also doing maybe interviews around the release of that documentary, Lucky, uh, that yeah. we were talking about the other day. I assumed but it was from Lucky, but was it a separate interview maybe? It was yeah. an interview with F1 Insider. Right. And Ecclestone said in the interview that he and, uh, you know, the now deceased Max Mosley, but at the time FI right. president, uh, that they were aware basically from the jump that the incident in Singapore was staged. And the quote from Ecclestone in F1 F1 Insider is, We decided not to do anything for now. We wanted to protect the sport and save it from a huge scandal. That's why I used angelic tongues to persuade my former driver and Nelson Pickett to keep calm for the time being. Back then, uh, they pronounce it both ways, right? Do they? Yeah, they do. Like, Kelly Kelly Pickett has gone out there and say, like, we prefer Pickett. We prefer to say Pickett. It's like Ricciardo. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, but at the same time, like, it is PK, so I I, I don't know. Um, Sorry. Anyway, Ecclestone continues. Back then, there was a rule that a world championship classification after the FIA awards ceremony at the end of the year was untouchable. So Hamilton was presented with the trophy, and everything was fine. We had enough information and time to investigate the matter. According to the statutes, we should have canceled the race in Singapore under these conditions. That means it would never have happened for the championship standings, and then Felipe Massa would have become world champion and not Lewis Hamilton. But like you said, butterfly effect. Yeah, but this so this quote has uncorked uh, the reserve of frustration in Felipe Massa. Uh, he was he was sort of asked about this, and he is like looking. He, he at least said he's looking into legal options. Uh, around the 2008 uh, title race, given that this is, like, new information that wasn't available at the time, that if, like, the FIA was kind of in on it in the start and effectively was covering up the fact that they had the scandal on their watch. uh, A scandal within a scandal, it sounds like, yeah. 
Yeah, and so like then he should have been then the race should have been voided, and he should have been a F one champion. It's been uh, fourteen years. You're right. It's a long shot to see any of this uh, like play out in like you know it's it's unclear even what he would be like. What would he sue for? Uh, you know what what do you mm. You know, it's absurd to, like, reclassify the championship after all this time, but it's unclear. Like, this is why I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's, it's a very murky thing, but, uh, you know, Ma- Massa, you know, said that at the time, Ferrari's lawyers were very clear that there was nothing to be done. Uh, and then he says, but after 15 years, we hear that, uh, you know, the owner of the category, meaning Bernie, says that he found out in 2008, together with the president of the FIA, and they did nothing so as mm. to not tarnish the name of F1. This is very sad to know the result of this race was supposed to be canceled, and I would have a title. In the end, I was the one who lost the most with this result, so we are going after it to understand all this. Nelson Here's Piquet the other Jr. Thing lost quite a lot as well, I think you'd argue, but... What? I think Nelson Piquet Jr. lost quite a lot as well, but, you know... Yeah, but he actually did the cheating. Like, fuck him. Yeah. Uh, like, I feel, yeah. I feel bad for him. I wish your dad was nicer. Uh, but <laughs> the... But the... But think about this other connection, too. <laughs> you know, this was clearly Briatore, I think, responding to pressure from Alonso. Alonso was unhappy. The Renault sucked for the first time in years. Like, like he was ready to jump ship. And oh, so fine. he's desperate to, like, notch some kind of win... And then who is who should come in over to Ferrari and basically end Massa's tenure there? But right. Felipe Massa, uh, but or Fernando Alonso, Alonso yeah. uh, who thoroughly puts Massa in the corner. And so to an extent, like you would also see this from Massa's perspective of this same dude <laughs> in two contexts, Habitual. like completely yeah. screws you over playing yeah. his like freaking power games. Lady Macbeth over there. He likes yeah. being the bad guy. <laughs> it's so, true. It's true. He did say it. He did warn us. He so. is so so he he's he's seething, but like again, it's been a long time since then, and yeah. the FIA has like various bylaws that would make it very tough to like reopen a result like this. Mm. Um, so I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but it is just a reminder of all the weird scandal and pent up energy around that the the Crashgate scandal as it became known, uh, and. You know, if this does turn into a lawsuit, might as well just give you the background now. You know, it'd be it'd be yeah. it'd make for a fascinating lawsuit. Uh, mm. The idea of someone fourteen years later suing to be either instated or somehow like made whole, uh, you know, stemming from this cover up. Which to be clear, if if in discuss like if they, you know, if, if Eccleston's memory is correct, and he and Max basically did sit down and were like, well, we can't we can't very well have this. Uh, you know, break loose. That is pretty scandalous. You wouldn't put it past them, but also he's an old man. Like, how clear is his recollection? Right. Yeah. Well, we will watch that if it turns into anything. Uh, Mm. We're also watching the Fantasy Standings. If you would like to join our Fantasy League, you can use the link in the show notes. I'm here to read out the winners, the podium (sighs) of the Fantasy Australian Grand Prix. Uh, in third place, 1.5 fast, 3 furious. A little math for everyone. I liked it, yeah. Also, apologies, I'm, I can no, I don't know what's up with this uh, site now, but I can no longer read uh, the nationalities or the username, just uh, the team name. But you know who you are. Uh, and then, then tied for first, Oberhof Racing and Earthbound Orbiters. 
Mm. However, in the total championship. Oberhof or Boberhof? Oberhof. Oberhof, great. Cool. What's Oberhof? Uh, That is a motorsport manager team that I'm co-managing on Waypoint Streams with uh, Ricardo Contreras. And mistakes are occasionally made. (laughs) (laughs) And I think most now at this point, most people are watching to see how we will screw it up. Each, Terrific. Each race. You're the Ferrari of that simulation. That analogy has been made many times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but overall, uh, in third place, we have Bankroll. In second place, we have Sins of a Catering Empire. Fantastic. Okay. It's a video game. Oh, uh, reference. I get it. And then number one, RB slash AM23. Terrific. That's when AI probably has that one. I think it's a, a a joke that the Aston Martin is basically a Red Bull. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at shift1podcast.gmail.com. <laughs> are, are we at an auction? What's going on? <laughs> Shiftf1podcast.gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. You can also hit us up on the socials, which are linked in the show notes. Uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world of racing, Danny? Let's race around the world. Hey, hey, hey. We've got those Craftsman Truck Series. Series. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'll get it one. You said one thing, but I heard something else. Yeah. Uh, In Bristol, Tennessee, for the Weather Guard Truck Race on Dirt. Whoa. Yeah. Racing on dirt. Love when they do the dirt. Nothing ever weird happens at the dirt races. Nope. Just cover it in dirt. Dirt it up. Get it dirty like Christina Aguilera. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Super Formula is back <laughs> for the Fuji rounds. We are at the Fuji Speedway <gasps> in Oyamacho. Uh, Suntogun. Shizuoka Ken. Shizuoka. Shizuoka. It's a good one. Terrific. Terrific. Uh, the Moto- Motocross Grand Prix is wow uh they're in switzerland this weekend interesting don't you know and they're competing on monday interestingly yeah this is interesting um oh maybe because it's uh easter sunday oh there you go yeah happy easter do you know who's celebrating easter um all christians (laughs) and nascar (laughs) oh we had nothing more christian than nascar uh also at the bristol motor speedway for the on the dirt we are at the food city oh my god night race food city food city we're just buying two loaves and two fishes and we're just gonna we're gonna make it work just like our lord and savior wow deep cut yeah Thank you. It's not that deep. It's it's real. It's well, speaking real of reading from level Christianity, <laughs> reading from the good book, Danny. Do, do you? Have oh, you're right. Sorry. Time? Yeah, I fuck. It took me. That took me twenty se- twenty seconds to figure out. I was like, you were like trying to figure out what like what was he want you to do with the Bible? Do I, no, do it, was I read, just, it was just blasphemy. Do you need me to get a scripture that is relevant to Formula One? Because I think I might struggle. Um, I don't have the book, but once again, clutch save from uh, wife O'Dwyer. 
um, who sent it into me. April fifth on this uh, on this on this day, Nigel Mansell continued his domination of the season today in 1992 when he took victory in the Brazilian Grand Prix at Interlagos in his lightning quick Williams Renault. It was his third win on the trot. Imagine that, Interlagos, at this stage of the the season. Um, But he did not have it all his own way and had to battle past teammate Ricardo Patrese after making a poor start. This race was also the first one British driver Perry McCarthy tried to enter. Anyone know Perry McCarthy? No. You you actually do. Uh, So let's keep going. Okay. He had been signed up. Uh, by the short-lived Andrea Moda team, but he was denied a super license and was not even allowed to attempt to qualify. He later achieved fame as Top Gear's tame racing driver, The Stig, until he was was sacked for revealing his identity in his autobiography. Oh, come on. Honestly, though, that kid got out of Top Gear when the getting out was good. Yeah. Like yeah. it was if there were a time to no longer be associated with Top Gear, <laughs> it was, it was like then. right around the time they killed the stick. Yeah, that's true. That's true. There you go. Wow. All right. Well, final thoughts, Danny, after Australia ahead of our IndyCar sojourn. Yeah, looking forward to talking about some IndyCar stuff, especially because we have this really annoying gap again, which is very annoying. Are we is Baku next? Is that the it next is. one? Baku's mm-hmm. been a fair Baku. We were we were shrugging our shoulder. We weren't sure about it when it first came up, and I think rather consistently, it's given us you know interesting races. So I'm I'm looking forward to Baku. Um, Melbourne was a very strange race. Very strange. Feels like a fever dream. Watching races at nighttime on Saturday is also very bizarre. Well, this new weekend structure though is going to make me feel a lot more like a fever dream. Like I'm still. <laughs> I still feel like I need this little red strings uh, chart to figure out like this new this new system they want to put in place. It's like we've gone from wouldn't it be fun to set the starting grid with a race to we should just do two races. <laughs> yeah, Formula Two and Formula Three do. Why not? Why not? Mm. Uh, um, Dominicali actually cited MotoGP. Um, All right, which are doing the same thing this year. Uh, just two races. Yeah. Um, keep Baku weird. That's what I say. Keep Baku weird. Absolutely. Uh, if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so over at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow. <laughs> <laughs>